Today's scripture reading will be from Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. If you are reading from the Pew Bibles, that's going to be on page 847, and I believe it'll also be behind me on the screen. So Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should, be, should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message that they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. Hope if you brought a Bible with you, you can uh, find Hebrews chapter 4 in there. <clears throat> Rest uh, has got to be one of the most beautiful words ever invented, right? <laughs> I mean, if you uh, labor in the course of a week, there's, there's nothing like the end of the day Friday, and you can look forward to a weekend of just rest, right? You just like to sleep in, and today you got an extra hour of sleep, Right? That great? Anybody show up for a worship practice on by accident this morning? Okay. Hey, Alex, you're here anyway, brother. It doesn't matter. So, if you're a student, you look forward to finishing that last exam and and just resting or doing something you actually enjoy more than studying. Can't imagine. If you're a parent of small children, rest is like a like a tiny oasis on a long desert journey. It's just rare and in small stretches. So we see parents with small children now that all of our children are grown. We see you parents with small children and, and our hearts just go out to you. We just see the exhaustion on your faces. Well, our neighbor, uh, his wife just had a baby a few months ago and I saw him recently and I said, hey, how, you know, how are things going? And he said, uh, I am so tired. He said, I love being a father. But I am so tired. And I said, well, don't worry. You will get to rest again in a few years. Uh, <clears throat> it's going to take some time. Well, the Hebrew, theme of Hebrews chapter 4 is rest. And what I want us 
I hope will happen today is we'll see how rest is a beautiful picture of salvation of what we have in Jesus and see how do we enter that rest and how do we enjoy it. Some of you uh, may be about to enter rest for the next few minutes and that's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll wake you up when it's over. If you hear music, uh, just stand up. So, and if it gets really quiet, you'll know that we just pranked you and all left and left you alone. So anyway, so now that I've totally embarrassed anybody who was dozing off you're engaged the rest of the time. So you know that if you've read the letter to the Hebrews, you probably know that it's written to people in the first century. They, they were from a Jewish background. They had embraced Jesus as their Messiah, or at least said they had. And yet in the face of persecution, were being tempted to return to their former faith, to abandon their faith in Jesus, to go back to what they had before. So the writer, to, in, in order to encourage and challenge and persuade them to endure to press on, to not abandon their faith, he does four things several times in this letter. First, he brings up aspects of the Old Covenant, of what they had as part of their Jewish faith. And then he shows how those who disobeyed that covenant faced loss and judgment. And then he shows how Jesus is either better or greater than whatever he's talking about. Therefore, the point is to abandon faith in Christ means to bring greater loss and greater judgment than those who suffered under the first covenant. So if you read the letter to the Hebrews, you'll see that pattern several times over and over. Warning passages that are, that are sobering. Uh, all of this is designed to encourage us to press on and not abandon our faith. So in cha chapters 3 and 4, the writer is comparing Israel's experience in the wilderness with Moses to what we have in Christ. He uses this theme of rest to do that. So he's saying if, uh, just as those who turned away from God in the wilderness did not enter the promised land, they did not enter that rest, so if we turn away from our faith now, we will not experience the salvation that, that God has promised in Christ. So to understand this, first we need to go back to chapter 3, and so I hope you have your, you have an open Bible or a search function, sharpen your thumbs, you're going to need it. So, um, chapter 3 and verse 6 he challenges them to simply not abandon their faith, to not turn away, but to endure, to press on. Then in verses 7 to 11, he is quoting Psalm 95. Okay? Now Psalm 95 talks about two different things that happened in the life of Israel. One is, is in Exodus 17 and the other is in Numbers 14. So in Exodus 17, we pick up with that story when Israel has been delivered from slavery into Egypt. They are, have followed Moses. They are on their way to Mount Sinai where they will receive the law. And they get thirsty. And as is their habit, they complain against Moses. And in Exodus chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 17, verse 5, I'll, I'll just read that. I don't think it's on a slide because you have my handy graphic in lieu. I didn't have a puzzle or anything to bring today. So, you know, thanks, man. Uh, no, no object lessons. Yeah, so it's just me, my bare bones slides. So, Exodus 17, verse 5. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock. Did you catch that? I will stand before you by the rock. Okay, so in some way the Lord is in visible form at this rock. Okay. So, Strike the rock, water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? He's staring them in the face and they're asking, Is he among us or not? Okay. 
So this is, this is a new level. This is, goes beyond complaining, beyond honest questioning. It is, it is a, an, an insolent, a, re, a rebellious state of heart that, that questioned what was right in front of their eyes. So as I said, Psalm 95 also talks about Numbers 14. So Numbers 14, now they have been at Sinai. They've received the law. They are on their way to the promised land. They get close and they send spies ahead into the land, 12 spies. The spies come back. And like in good committee fashion, right, two of them have, have a, a positive report and 10 of them have, have a negative report, right? Two of them say, we can take the land, God is with us. 10 of them say, the people are huge, armies are bigger, the city, cities are well defended, we can't do this. So uh, who were the two that gave the positive report? Joshua and Caleb. How about the 10? Anybody know their names? There you go, okay. Nobody names their kids after the 10, right? Probably asked them Joshua's and Caleb's in here this morning. We don't even know their names. Now, they're in there, but, you know, you read your Old Testament, you don't think, I'm going to memorize the names of those ten losers. Nobody does that, right? <laughs> Why? Because they literally turn God's people aside in unbelief. But, but what the writer does is he says, Psalm 95 tells us something by uniting both of these stories, is that the same heart is behind both. The heart that led them to complain and quarrel and test God in the wilderness led them to turn away from him uh, later when, when they faced that, that crisis point. So when they turned away, see, it, it was the, it's the, the same heart that did that. So when they turned away, it was not a huge step for them. It's not like they were just pressing on in faith, enjoying fellowship with God, and then suddenly turned away. Their journey was marked by small steps of unbelief the whole way. So when they turned away, it was not one huge step. It was one more small step. So the writer says to the Hebrews that you, like your ancestors, you're facing a challenge to your faith as well. And you're either going to move forward in faith or you're going to turn aside in unbelief and you'll have the consequences of, those, of, the, of that choice. And we need to hear this today because we face a similar situation. We face choices daily. Every day is filled with choices. At some level, those choices boil down to a choice of, of following Jesus or not, Right? may not be so clear all the time. Sometimes we need wisdom to understand the difference. But, but oftentimes, the more we look at a decision, it comes down to, to a decision of faith or unbelief. And so really, for one thing we need to do today is simply reflect on our lives. And, and you know, if I, ask, if I ask you today, like, raise your hand if you're planning to walk away from, from Jesus today. You know, raise your hand if you're planning to abandon your faith today. None of us plans to do that, right? But are you making choices now? that seem to be inconsequential, that seem to make no difference, that seem to be small choices, light choices, you think, well, this doesn't matter, I'll, I'll figure it out later. You might be making small choices such that turning away would be, you, you, you may be on the path to doing something you think you would never do. I've known people who've had great failures in their lives and, and they would think, I never thought this could happen. But what had happened is they had made small choices all along the way such that it wasn't a huge choice. It looked like a huge choice. It looked like a huge failure to, to those who didn't know. But the, more, the closer you look, the more you realize this wasn't a huge step. It was one more small uh, mistaken step. So... Uh, if there's a point today, it is for us to guard our hearts and watch over our lives carefully that, that we not go this direction. So Hebrews 3, verse 11, he, he tells the consequence of their unbelief. He says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
And he picks up that theme of rest in chapter 4. So what does rest mean? For those of you who are still awake, what does rest mean besides your, your present experience? Of course, in that context, it meant those who disobeyed would not enter the promised land. He says this in Numbers 14. I think that's on the slide. Uh, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their, uh, their ancestors. Okay? You get it. They turned aside. They, they will not enter. But let's look closer and see what rest meant to Israel so that we'll understand what they, they missed and we'll understand the challenge before us. So the first thing rest meant to them was the end of, of works. We see this uh, all through the Old Testament, but in Genesis chapter 2, beginning at creation, it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he'd rested from all his work. Not because he was tired, but because he was finished. Then in, in chapter 5, so after the fall of humanity, there is now a curse on the earth that brings frustration to our work. Lamech, the father of Noah, named Noah that name, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. So already you see very early on that the idea of rest meant more than simply an end to labor and a, and a, a, you know, a relaxing weekend. It's, there's, there's something far deeper and far more to this. And in Exodus 31 there is the command that you'll work six days and then, uh, and then the seventh day will be a day of Sabbath rest. And then in chapter 4 and verse 10... He says this, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. So rest is the end of works. You, you stop. You get that in the basic concept of rest. You, you, you cease your labors. It's a break. You're doing something else or may perhaps doing very little. Rest also meant for them the end of their wandering. It says in Exodus 33 and 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. He's not talking about the end of works. He's talking about the end of their wanderings. They would get to this land. Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 9, he says, For you have not yet come to the resting place and the inheritance which the Lord your God has given you. Again, here's the idea. Their, their journey would end, and that the end of that journey would be called rest. But rest also meant for them the end of warfare. It says in Joshua 11, Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel, according to their divisions by their tribes. Thus the land had rest from war. Now this passage in Hebrews 4 is not really telling us about real estate. It's not telling us that there is a piece of property that we need to enter and, and acquire. It's talking about something else. Uh, verses 3 and 4 speak of God's rest at creation. Not because he was tired, but because he was finished. Verse 10 says, there are those who have entered God's rest already. Verse 19 says, there are those who did not enter. So rest seems to be something in the past. But the point of verses 3 to 9 is that God is talking about a rest after creation. So there's, there's something more to this. Verse 3 says that those who have believed enter this rest. So it seems to be something in the present. And verse 1 says, there is a promise of entering his rest. Verse 6 says it remains for some to enter. Verse 9 says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And verse 11 says we should be diligent to enter. So it's something that's future. So, which is it? For those who are awake, is rest past, present, or future? You want, you want to vote? Anybody vote for past 
or present or future? Okay, you, I've just terrified you all, right? Nobody has courage. Because the reality is, you probably know, it is all three. Because rest is a beautiful picture of salvation that is also past and present and future. So you, you, perhaps, have heard of sal- you perhaps have heard of salvation described this way. I have been saved. Referring to that moment of belief when we began to follow Christ. I am being saved, referring to our present relationship with Him, and I will be saved. There is a future dimension to salvation. We, you might have heard it described this way. In the past, Jesus saved us from the penalty of sin. Through His death and resurrection, we're forgiven. He, say, he is saving us now from the power of sin as we grow in, in our likeness to Him, as we grow in our, our character and godliness. And there is a day when He will save us from the presence of sin. So now let's think about how this relates to the works and warfare and wandering. So rest for us is also, as salvation, it is the end of works. When you came to Jesus, you recognized that your good works could not save you. His obedient life is what gives us a righteousness that is acceptable to God. We we sang it earlier, why should I gain from His reward, right? That's exactly the gospel. We gain from His reward. It's, It's a gift. So when you came to Jesus, you... You rested in Him. You said, I'm not going to work to please God. I can't possibly work. I can't possibly earn anything from God. I will end those works, and I'll rest in Jesus. So that's in the past. But in the present, what happens is when we stop working and begin resting in Jesus, a new desire and a new energy is released in us. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand for us to do. And so there is suddenly this new impulse in us. It was a great mystery to me when I first came to Christ as a university student. I thought, why do I want to do things that I used to mock people for doing before? You know, why do I now want to do those things? Where is this desire coming from? Thankfully, in time, I understood. But we're not working in order to earn something from God, not working in order to please God. We're working out of that rest that we have in Jesus. So it's, it is, it's, Energized from him. Okay, it's not very relaxing, right? But still, <laughs> it's rest it may not be so restful. But the idea is that we have this rest in Christ. Because we have that now, there is, there is energy, desire released in us to do what is good. And there is a rest that awaits us because the good that we do in this age, it will end, right? We'll face death. And there's an age to come, and, and we have just in a taste of, of what we will experience in the future. So there, there is a rest that awaits us. But Scripture tells us, Revelation 21, that, that we will reign with Him and we will serve Him. So if you thought heaven was going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp, my friends, you are going to be a lot busier than that. Now some of you may already play a harp, and that would sound like a lot of fun to you. That sounds not very much fun to me. And I don't think it would be very much fun for the people who are here. But trust me, you know, don't know how that's going to look. But I think we'll be plenty busy. The idea, though, we're working, but not in order to earn something from God but because of what Jesus has done for us, because of who He is. Rest is also the end of our wandering. Before you met Christ, you may have felt like you were lost. Scripture describes us as lost without Him. And that may be how you felt. I remember that feeling of of just feeling lost, of of aimless, like I was searching for something that I couldn't find. You two, you know, Bono saying that right, I still haven't found what I'm searching for. Um, Yeah, sorry I put that in your minds, but... um, that's all I know of that song, so there you go. Awesome. Thanks, Drew. Appreciate the endorsement. That made it worse, but that's okay. 
So, but when you came to Jesus, they, a, this aimless journey of, of rebellion and bondage and shame came to an end. You came home. When you came to Jesus, you came home. I've heard people who give their testimony speak of that, of coming to Christ and, the, and that sense of just feeling as if they had come home. You read it in Luke 15, the, the prodigal son, the younger son, when he returns, he, he comes home to his father. There, it's a powerful image for us that, that this wandering, this aimlessness has ended. That, that's, that, what has, that is what has happened to us if we know Christ. But a new journey began. But it's not an aimless journey. It's not a journey of, of shame and bondage. It's a, a journey in fellowship with Jesus. We live each day in fellowship with Him. Right? We walk through life in Him. We, God is, 1 Corinthians 1.9, right? God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with His Son. We, we walk through life in fellowship with Christ. And it's not an aimless journey. There, there is a point and there's purpose to it. And there is a journey that awaits us. I have no idea what that will look like, except it's going to be really good, unhindered by sin. We have but a taste of those things, and it will be in fellowship with Jesus. But rest is also the end of our warfare. See, if you, before you came to Christ, you were at war with God. Maybe you still are. Maybe you remember what that conflict was like. Maybe you're still experiencing it. Uh, let me tell you, God wins that war every time, okay? I don't know if you've been in Prague long enough and you've seen the uh, heartwarming uh, decorations on the trams, it says, uh, like, uh, tramvai one, pedestrian zero. You know, <laughs> what they're saying is, we don't stop for pedestrians. Okay, so if you're a tourist, that's what that means. That's what that announcement means, is that you do not have priority over trams in the crosswalk. Okay, well, if you're fighting God, he's going to win. You are going to lose, okay? Just go ahead and give up now. Just go ahead and surrender now. When you came to Christ... You, you surrendered. You stopped fighting him. That war ended. You were reconciled to him. And so there's this sense of, of peace. I remember, again, come, thinking back to the night I came to know Christ, the sense of peace that flooded my soul. It was, it was amazing. Totally unexpected. This conflict with God had ended. But you know what? <laughs> A new conflict begins. This is what the New Testament calls the good fight. Right? So you've lost your, your battle against God, but in so doing, in surrendering, you, you enter a good fight, a fight with, with Satan and, and the powers of darkness, a fight with the mentality of this world, what, what John calls the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And a fight with yourself, okay? Uh, anybody here want to admit you are your own worst enemy? Okay. Boy, I know I am. Thank you. There's three honest people in here. The rest... Some are asleep, some are resting, right? Some are honest, it's okay. But you know, if you've followed Jesus for any amount of time, you know you are your own worst enemy. I know I, I am my own worst enemy. See that guy in the mirror every time, right? Okay, that's, we, we've, we fight these internal battles, but it's a good fight, Right? Sometimes it's exhausting. Romans 7, right? Sometimes it's an exhausting battle as we fight with remaining sin with, with the old man. That battle will end one day. Now, I don't know what battles will look like in the future. Again, Scripture tells us we'll reign with Him, we'll serve Him. I think we're going to have plenty. It really doesn't sound very restful, does it? But that's okay. It's going to be good. So, that's rest, right? It's the end of, of works. It's the end of wandering. It's the end of warfare. We come home to Jesus. We find forgiveness in Him. We find uh, freedom in Him. We find life in Him. Reconciliation. All of this. 
We've experienced it when we came to know him. We live in it now. There is a, it, it awaits us in our in fullness in the future. So now that we've seen what this means, let's look and see what this passage tells us about how to enter it and, and how to enjoy it. So in verse 1, he says this, Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. So the first thing I would say is that we must help each other in this pursuit of rest. We, we need each other. Notice how the writer says it. He, he doesn't say, be careful, losers. <laughs> he doesn't say, you guys watch out and I'll be in to check on you in a couple of years. He's, he says, let us be careful so that none of you would have fallen short. He involves himself in what they are facing. He feels a sense of responsibility to the things that, that they are facing. And he doesn't just put it all on them as if you are responsible for yourself. And in a sense we are. But he's saying so that none of you would fall short. That is there must be a concern in general. One for the other. Uh, so if you see a brother or sister who's, who's not resting. I don't mean like, you know, wake somebody up right now. <laughs> Tell them to go to sleep now. But I am saying, if you see somebody who's falling into this habit of working to earn something from God, if you see someone wandering away from God, if you see somebody in conflict with God, help them come back to rest. And the second thing is we need to have a posture of belief. In verses 2 and 3, he says that Israel, the Israelites, heard good news. Literally, they were evangelized. Or they heard the gospel, but it did not benefit them because they didn't share the faith of those who obeyed. So how were those who came out of Egypt, the, the Israelites, how were they evangelized? How did they hear good news? Well, in Exodus 4, they heard good news that the Lord had remembered his covenant and was going to deliver them. That, that was good news. They were happy about that, right? In Exodus 7 to 12, they saw the plagues that God brought upon Egypt, <clears throat> um, leading to this final one, the, what we call the Passover, where they were to gather in, in family-type groups. They were to find an unblemished lamb, right? Lamb without spot, any, any flaw. Kill the lamb. Put blood on the post and beam of the door. Post, beam, if you, you imagine it, it could be cross-shaped, right? <laughs> could be. And if you are protected by the blood, when, when the Lord passed through that night, the firstborn in your house would live. You could be... Jewish, you could be Egyptian, you could be, God forbid, even American, right? If you're under the blood, you're safe. If you're Jewish and outside, firstborn in your house dies. The blood is the only, the, the blood of the unblemished lamb is the only thing that saves you. Okay? That, that is the gospel, right? They saw the Lord's deliverance at the Red Sea. When they were trapped from behind by the, the Egyptians from before by the sea and God parted the waters, they saw the Lord's provision every day through his manna. And Jesus tells us he is the bread that came down from heaven to give life to the world. And in Exodus 17 that we read earlier, he provided water from the rock. He was standing beside the rock. I mean, he was there with them in the wilderness. So the vast majority of those who left Egypt with Moses died in the wilderness. Because of their unbelief. So we must believe. It's not enough to hear. We must believe. You can't, you can't come to church and think, okay, good, I've, I've got my, my inoculation. I don't have to do this again for a week or a month. Um, I know how some people think. It is not enough to just hear 
You, you must believe. There must be a personal commitment of faith to Christ. And it's not enough to, um, to act Christian. I mean, honestly, I, you know, I look at my life and I think, it, it, you know, I'm, I set a low bar. <laughs> it, I mean, I just look at you this morning and you think, you guys look like you have it together. Well, I know better. I know that you are every bit as pathetic as I am. Um, you're welcome. I don't have to know you to know that. I just know the gospel and that beneath our fine clothes and appearance, we're just broken. We are broken. So I know that. I, I know not because I know any of your hidden faults. I just know you have them, as do I. And mine will remain hidden for today. It's not enough to act Christian. It's not enough to go through rituals. It's not enough to go through ceremonies. It's not enough to do things that make it appear that you believe if you do not believe without personal faith. You must have personal faith in Christ. Again, it's the blood of the Lamb that saves. That's all. Nothing else. You need nothing else. Nothing else can help you. And it's not enough to say, you, I believed in the past if you don't believe today. I've met people who think because they had some experience, maybe when they were children, that they have their hell insurance, you know? Like, okay, good. I did that in North America, a lot of churches. Uh, you know, if you want to make a commitment to Christ, you walk to the front and, and you pray. And, and some people look back at that experience and say, okay, good, I'm, I'm done. I have my, my hell insurance or my fire insurance. That kind of faith, if, if you're not following, it doesn't save so verse 3 tells us we enter rest when we believe. Okay. So that tells us that is all it takes is to believe. That means that you abandon all hope in yourself, all hope in your works. You stop your, your self-salvation project. You stop your aimless wandering. You stop your fighting against God. And you rest in Christ and in Christ alone. And you will be saved. You will be forgiven. You will be set free. You will have life with all that it means in this age and the age to come. There, at the same time, you know, there, there is a, a moment when we do begin to believe. There is, there is a moment when I did not believe and there is a moment when I believe. Now, you may or may not know the day. Your experience may have been different from others. And, you, you know, that's, that, the wind blows where it will, right? But it's not so important that you know the day or the hour. What's important is that today your hope is in Christ, that, that you believe. So um, I think probably all of us have been to a doctor at one time, right? Everybody's been to a doctor, right? Too bad uh, Dr. Yanov isn't here today. We could ask her um, if she has ever evaluated anyone's health based on their birth certificate. No. Right? You ever go to a doctor? Has the doctor ever asked you for a birth certificate? Because I want to be sure you're healthy. No. Of course not. For one thing, I don't think paper had even been invented when I was born. But still, thank you. But still, the birth certificate isn't what tells us we're healthy. What tells us we're healthy? Vital signs, right? That's what the doctor looks at. And that's, that's what we need to be looking at. That's, that's what counts today. That's why he says today if you hear his voice... You know, what happened when you were 12 was nice. But today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So what matters today is your, your posture of faith. And it means that you don't give up on Jesus. You don't turn away from Jesus and walk away from him when things get, get tough. There, there is a future 
ahead of us that is so beautiful and so wonderful and so glorious that it is worth every heartache and every disappointment and every frustration and betrayal that this age can offer us. Do not give up. Do not turn away. I don't know what you're facing, but let me just plead with you. Do not throw away what you have in Christ. Now, it's impossible to read the letter to the Hebrews and not wonder what about those who did say that one time they said they believed, but now they don't. What, what do we do with those? And I know when we came to Eastern Europe in the mid-90s, there were, had a lot of stories about that, especially because of communism. So there, there are basically three opinions about this. One is that since they believed at one time, that's enough. Even if they abandon their faith, they'll go to heaven. I think even our text this morning would tell us this doesn't really satisfy what Scripture tells us. Another is that they genuinely did believe and were saved, but since they abandoned their faith, they have lost their salvation. Well, I don't think that adequately explains the Scripture either. So the third is that their faith was not genuine in the first place, even though it may have looked like the real thing to others. And I think this is the view that best expresses what Scripture teaches. That is, that if faith is genuine, it endures. Okay? It doesn't mean perfection. It means, as the Proverbs say, a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Suppose you're sitting at, uh, at uh, you know, Palladium Mall and you see a guy walking toward the food court and he falls down. And you think, oh, poor guy, I hope he's okay. And he gets up and he falls down again. And again, see him fall seven times, you think, you know, that guy really needs some help, right? But that's a, that's a sort of a, a jarring word picture. You fall even seven times to the point that's almost comical. You fall so often and so much, and yet every time you fall, you rise. So this is not about perfection. This is about rising when you fall. It is enduring. Despite your failures, despite the heartaches and disappointments and and betrayals in this age, you keep just walking one foot in front of the other. You may have nothing else, but you cling to Christ and Christ alone. Hebrews 6 is one of the most sobering warning passages in the letter. And it tells us, uh, at, the writer warns them against people who have had these amazing experiences and they turned away. But then he says, but beloved, we are con convinced of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation. You mean there are things better than these experiences? Well, yeah, there are. So read Hebrews 6 and you'll see what they are. <laughs> he talks about labor and he talks about love. And all I'm saying is there is fruit to genuine faith, that the fruit comes out as a result of faith, God's work of grace in our lives. It is, it's not tied to the beginning of our journey. It continues to be revealed. To put it like a preacher I once heard, he uh, the faith that fails before the first, I'm sorry, the faith that fails before the finish had a flaw from the first. Is that cool or what? The faith that fails before the finish had a flaw from the first. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, write that one down. So this is not salvation by works. It is salvation by grace, by grace alone, through faith alone. But the faith that saves is faith that endures. So the third thing, we must do to enter and enjoy rest is we must watch over our hearts diligently. In verse 11, he says, therefore, let us make every effort to enter that rest. Um, another translation, let us be diligent to enter that rest. That sounds almost self-contradictory. -contrad we work hard to enter rest, 
Okay, we have to be careful that we don't understand that to mean we work to earn rest, right? The rest that we have in the gospel in Christ is his reward. It's the reward for his work, not ours. Okay. But what is he telling us to be diligent to do? Does it mean you just, if you work hard enough, you'll get in? That's not what he's telling us. I think we see the answer in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3, where he says, Take care, brothers. That there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day it is still, while it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I think especially the diligence that he calls us to today is a diligence of watching over our own hearts. Because we are our own worst enemy. We have to guard against things. Things happen to you, they happen to me, that, that can cause us to, to doubt God. I mean... You think, here are the Israelites in the wilderness. The Lord is standing right in front of them at the rock, and they question he's there. How often do the Psalms, in the Psalms, does the psalmist cry out, Oh God, don't be silent. God, don't be far away. Now, why does he say that? He says that because he feels like God is silent and far away. Right? Do we not often feel like that? That's okay. You don't have to admit it. I know it's true. We, we get into crisis and difficulty and trial, and we think, God, where are you? Why have you let this happen? God, don't be silent. And I find myself praying that, God, don't be silent. I read in Isaiah this morning, where, where is your former zeal? Like, yeah, we, God's people experience that because it seems like God is silent. He's not totally silent because we have his word. At the same time, we, we desire to know God is close, and sometimes we don't feel that. We don't sense it, and, and we need that. So we cry out to him. What I'm saying is, don't allow the trials of this life to harden your heart. Don't become desensitized to sin. If you think, well, I can make this choice out of unbelief and it won't matter. It matters. We, we make choices and those choices have real consequences. So we, we have to maintain this posture of, of faith, posture of repentance, of watching over our hearts because our own hearts can deceive us. And then fourth, we need to come before the Word of God with humility and honesty. So you see that in verses 12 and 13, we have this amazing ability to rationalize anything, right? I'm amazed at few things more than my own ability to deceive myself. But you think I would know. It's me talking to myself. But, you know, I fool myself every time. Uh, not as smart as I look, I know. Um, but we, we can deceive ourselves, we can rationalize things, make us think something that is sin is not sin. Um, but the Word of God just exposes infallibly and, and judges without fail our actions. It judges our intentions, our ambitions, our affections. It, it exposes us for who we are and what we are. And then we face a choice. Do we agree with that testimony concerning us or, or do we deny it? And what we're being challenged to today is, is to accept that testimony, to acknowledge that we are what the Word of God says we are. We are broken and we are fallen. That's not all we are, but, but the Word of God... Um, okay, Dr. Yanovis here, I could ask you about birth certificate. That's okay, Job can tell you later. It won't even be funny then. So, actually, what is even funny before? So, it's okay. Um, so, the Word of God judges our, our unbelief. That is, that, that unbelief that causes us to avoid the rest he offers us in the gospel. 
It also judges our hypocrisy that makes us do things that pretend we have entered rest, that we have trusted Christ, that we look like Christian, we behave Christianly, even though we don't have personal faith in Him. The Word of God judges both of those things. And when it does, we have to just come before Him with honesty and humility and acknowledge that, that what God says of us is true. So that's why it says in 1 John chapter 1, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, so the word confess, it literally means to say the same thing, to be in agreement. You are agreeing with God, the testimony of God about yourself. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Right? That's a beautiful promise because we are fallen and broken and we we need to make use of verses like this often. So, what I would say to you today is stop the, your, your self-salvation project. Stop your aimless wandering. Stop your warfare with God. Come to Jesus. Rest in Him alone. And you'll enter and you'll enjoy God's rest. But today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Father, thank you for these moments together before your word. Pray you'll seal into our hearts what's been true and good and right, and the rest can just disappear. So please help us to obey what you've spoken into our hearts today. Let us leave here diligent to seek you and your rest in the gospel. Thank you for all that you are to us in Christ. Amen.